0: Hello, listeners. This podcast is hosted by International Idea. In the next minutes, we will help you make sense of what's happening today in democracy worldwide.
1: Hello, and welcome to our first episode of our new season of Peer to Peer International Ideas Electoral Podcast Series, hosted by me, Eric Asplund. And me,
2: Heidi Park. Together, we speak with practitioners and academics from around the world to share knowledge, experience, and good practice, with this season focusing on the impact of natural hazards on electoral processes.
1: Today, we are joined by none other than Sarah Butch and Jeff Fisher to discuss the impact of wildfires in California on the 2016 and 2018 federal elections. Wildfires are one of the many extreme weather events that have been exasperated by the effects of climate change.
2: And according to the 2022 IPCC report, human-induced climate change has increased their frequency, intensity, and or duration of extreme weather events, including droughts and wildfires.
1: That's right. And according to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, multiple studies have pointed to climate change leading to an increase in wildfire season length, frequency, and areas burned.
2: Now, at the time of recording, COP27 in Egypt is in its second week, and the discussions regarding climate change has shifted from mitigation to adaptation. And the head of COP27, the UN Environmental Program's Emission Gap Report, showed that the international community is falling short of the Paris goals, and the current climate policies in place point to a 2.8 degrees Celsius temperature rise by the end of the century, rather than 1.5. And we've seen the devastating effects of climate change the recent floods in Pakistan, wildfires in the US and Australia, and societies needing to become more climate resilient, including elections.
1: Indeed, and climate resilient elections is very much the focus of this season of Peer to Peer. On that note, uh, welcome Sarah Butch and, and Jeff. Um, so very happy to have you both on the show. Um, Sarah and Jeff, uh, could you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe starting with um, Sarah?
0: Hello, I'm Sarah Birch, and I'm a professor of political science at King's College, London.
3: And my name is Jeff Fisher. I am a senior fellow with the Georgetown University Centre for Democracy and Civil Society and a consultant on le- an election administration.
2: Thank you both for being here. We really appreciate having you on the show, as it gives our listeners an opportunity to hear about a case study that you both wrote on the impact of wildfires in California. Could you start by explaining some more details about the case study, um, Jeff?
3: Yes. the The focus was to identify how election administrators address the challenges uh, to the conduct of elections, which these wildfires uh, presented and what lessons learned uh, emerged from the experience. Uh, We sought to identify any changes in administrative practices which occurred from 2016 to the 2018 electoral cycle resulting from 2016 lessons learned by election authorities. The California wildfires were, were examples of long term and migrating natural disasters rather than being a single hit in a given location that let's say a hurricane would inflict the research was conducted through desk studies and through a survey distributed to all 58 county election officials to which there were 15 respondents the research also included reading the contingency plans from the responding counties in order to identify patterns of approach and content and just to give you an idea of scale uh, in California Uh, There were 104 major wildfires uh, between 2015 and 2018, burning over 5,000 acres each. In 2016, there were 12 major fires in the three months leading up to uh, the November election and 15 leading up to the November election in
1: 2018. Wow. Um, Was there anything uh, surprising you learned while writing the case, Jeff?
3: Well, I was surprised to learn that for 2016, there were virtually no coordination mechanisms by election authorities with other relevant state agencies. I mean, combating these wildfire impacts is, is a complex task. And only the only federal agencies where coordination took place were with the Election Assistance Commission and the Federal Emergency Management Agency. However, as a result of the experiences of 2016, coordination increased uh, in 2018 uh, with county officials coordinating with other county offices such as fire departments, sheriffs and coroners, county councils, district attorneys, uh, environmental health, health services and social services.
1: I see. Um, How about you Sarah, any surprises?
0: Well for me researching this case study was quite interesting and also informative Uh, First, I was surprised to see just how many communities had been affected by wildfires in California. When we mapped them all out, I thought, wow, it's quite a lot of California has been affected in this way. Um, But also, despite some of the initial logistical challenges that Jeff mentions, uh, I I was quite impressed with the ability of state and local officials to rise to the challenge and to protect their electorates and their communities uh, and to protect electoral processes overall I thought they did quite a good job uh, of reacting in appropriate ways in the wake of these fires
1: Sarah do you know of any other uh, like country examples where wildfires had an impact on elections beyond the US
0: uh, well yeah Yes, in our California case, cases that we looked at, the elections were actually held, but this hasn't been the case in all of the countries that have been affected by wildfires. For example, in New South Wales and Australia in 2020, there was an election that was postponed, partly because of wildfires and droughts also, and then partly because of COVID. And this is something we're increasingly seeing around the world, that we're seeing compound disasters where either pandemic or some other disaster takes place at the same time as wildfires and electoral officials have to cope with not just one disaster but two disasters and it's under these circumstances that they're more likely to be major disruption that would cause for example a postponement of an election.
2: Yes exactly so moving back to the US um, it has one of the more complex electoral systems being heavily decentralized. Um, Jeff, could you please explain to our listeners about the federal and local electoral system and who the main actors are in implementing these elections?
3: Yes, the the system of election administration in the US is decentralized. Uh, There's no national election authority. Uh, As a result, the the practices taken to manage the impact of wildfires in elections will vary with each uh, jurisdiction. Although sets of common practices were identified across jurisdictions. Uh, Primary elections in California are held five months prior to the November general election. Elections in California are overseen by the secretary of state, but administered by 58 county election authorities. And in in, uh, March of 2020, the governor of California identified election personnel as critical infrastructure workforces.
1: Right, uh, several states in the in the US have had to hold an election in the wake of an extreme weather event, um, with examples including most recently uh, Florida after Hurricane Ian, uh, but also New York and New Jersey after Hurricane Sandy in 2012 and local elections in New Orleans following Hurricane uh, Hurricane Katrina. How have local EMBs tried to protect the electoral processes from natural disasters? Um, Jeff, do you have some concrete examples that you could tell us or tell
3: our listeners? Yes, in California, some uh, county uh, election authorities operated what were called pop-up vote centers, which provided uh, mobile units to supplement or replace the primary vote centers impacted by the fire. Uh, There were also special voting arrangements uh, that uh, were, were fairly constantly used Uh, between 2016 and um, and 2018 Uh, special voting arrangements include no excuse absentee voting early person or early in-person voting mail-in ballots election day drive up and drop box uh, voting Uh, under a trial basis for 2018 all registered voters were automatically sent a ballot by mail which they could mail back or deposit in a uh, in a drop box and this option proved to be very popular for, uh, for the uh, elections, most people chose to vote by mail in the primary and general elections, with 58.7% in the 2016 primary and 578 in the uh, general. And for 2018, it went up to uh, 677 uh, in the primary and 65.3% in the general.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Sarah, do you have any thoughts on this?
0: Yes, as you say, Eric, uh, the U.S. is increasingly vulnerable to extreme weather events of the type that we'll see even more of as the climate changes. And in the U.S. context, this is compounded by the fact that elections are held in November, which falls during the hurricane season and is shortly after the wildfire season. In addition, the U.S. is at a disadvantage because it has relatively low levels of electoral capacity compared with most other developed democracies. This is due uh, in large part to the politicization and fragmentation of electoral administration in the U.S. Uh, And there's been some research by Harvard professor Pirpa Norris and her colleagues that shows that the U.S. actually has some of the worst run elections in the democratic world. Now, this doesn't mean that there's a whole lot of outright fraud in the US, because there's not, at least from the evidence that we have. But there is quite a lot of gerrymandering, voter exclusion and a politicisation of administrative decision making in the sense that you have people who are actually partisan officials making decisions about how elections are run, which is very unusual in the democratic world. And this type of politicisation and fragmentation undermines the quality of electoral administration in many contexts. However, California is less politicized in this respect than some states. And I think one of the most interesting takeaways from our case study is that the challenge of dealing with wildfires actually appears to have increased electoral capacity in California. And this is what's known in the disaster literature as the Phoenix effect, where post-disaster reconstruction and preparedness enhancement means that a community is more able to deal with with disasters in the wake of of a particular event because it's able to build back better in administrative terms and the short period that we've covered in california shows how this happens it shows how counties were able to do this following statewide national guidance and to integrate better preparedness planning into their electoral systems this means that overall the county officials in california are now much better able to cope with the after effects of wildfires than they were at the start of the process thanks sarah it, I think it's
2: really interesting uh, point about how a natural disaster can prompt authorities to build back better and create fit-for-purpose institutions. Um, so, Jeff, more specific to wildfires, um, are there any contingency plans related to wildfires for election authorities in California or maybe some other states that may be more wildfire-prone? Uh,
3: for Yes, uh, for the... Um Uh, 2016 electoral cycle, uh, 87.5% of the respondents indicated that they had uh, developed wildfire contingency plans. Uh, Responses from uh, some uh, counties indicated that that these contingency plans were developed for potential disruptions at vote centers or drop boxes uh, with directions for people to follow up to other locations. Um, Contingencies also covered uh the uh, disruption of uh, of electrical power and uh, included providing UPS uh, backup battery backups available p- to be uh, deployed to impacted uh, polling stations uh, for contingency staffing uh, the uh, plans included support personnel which were deployed to respond to any incident around uh, the the counties uh, there were also systems of redundancies That is to say, deliberate oversupply for equipment, vote center personnel, servers and networks and voting supplies so that there would be a a sufficient uh, inventory of these if they were needed.
1: Um, As we've seen in the last few years, what are the lessons learned that EMBs or election authorities can and should take into consideration as natural hazards will likely impact more elections moving forward? Um, Jeff, maybe you'd like to start?
3: Uh, Yes, uh, risk management, resilience building, and crisis management are three approaches which election stakeholders can take in dealing with natural disasters. Uh, From our survey, however, none of the responding election authorities reported to have undertaken comprehensive risk management as such in advance of the election. However, there were initiatives uh, taken in resilience building and crisis management Uh, as put forward by guidelines uh, of the uh, U.S. Electoral Assistance Commission. And uh, these uh, resilience building measures, crisis management measures, uh, concerned staffing, communications, logistical challenges, and uh, liaising with emergency services.
1: Thanks, thanks, Jeff. That's super interesting, these six steps of guidance uh, by the United States Electoral Assistance Commission. I assume it's still on their website, so uh, if any of our listeners are interested, I'm sure they can have a look. Um, Sarah, um, what about you?
0: Well, in the global context, a lot of the data and stories that are coming out of COP27 in Egypt do make it quite clear that we have done serious damage to our climate and that the consequences of this damage will grow quite dramatically in future years. Now, so far, electoral authorities around the world have by and large managed to get away with making incremental changes to business as usual. But there may come a time when then this isn't going to work anymore and larger reforms would be necessary. This might include, for example, changing the time of year when uh, elections are held so that they don't coincide with known cycles of uh, climatic disruption. It could require changing constitutions or laws. It also could require shifting away from very territorially based electoral systems, as we have, for example, in California, we have relatively small districts that are represented by one person. Well, if people are displaced on a regular basis, this may be much less viable, both in electoral terms, but also in representational terms. And it may make sense to move towards more proportional representation in larger districts uh, that doesn't uh, have that territorial fragmentation as a problem. Finally, it may be necessary to develop better administrative solutions. Contingency planning, as we've seen in the Californian case, and also clear communication plans to let voters know what they can expect when it comes to voting in the wake of a natural disaster.
1: Right. And maybe maybe not surprisingly, wildfires also had an impact on the 2020 presidential elections in several states, including California, Oregon and Washington state, displacing uh, several thousands of voters two months ahead of Election Day. The disaster was further compounded by COVID-19.
2: Exactly. So in Oregon, uh, voters displaced by wildfires did not need to re-register to vote at their temporary address, and postal ballots were sent to temporary addresses on request, as well as mobile ballot box voting was one of the special voting arrangements that were used for the election, as mobile teams could visit shelters and areas devastated by wildfires to allow people to register, vote, or access replacement ballots.
1: Right, so um, just one more question. <laughs> uh, Sarah and Jeff, um, we typically round off um, our interviews um, uh, with a kind of more reflective uh, personal question, uh, something we always ask election practitioners or academics that join the show. So, um, um, namely, what, what is the most important lesson you've learned over your career? Uh, it's a big question, I know <laughs> but um, I'm sure our uh, listeners would be um, uh, happy to hear uh, your your uh, your thoughts on this or your take, I should say maybe um Sarah.
0: Uh, Well, thinking about this question, what occurred to me was actually something that was refreshingly absent from our Californian case study. But time and time in my research, I've come back to the quality of institutions as being a problem. And many of the things that I study, such as electoral malpractice, electoral violence, natural disasters, they seem to be linked in some way to institutional failures that are connected with corruption. And when I set out to, to study these topics, I, I usually try to keep an open mind. Um, and but I find regularly that favoritism, the misuse of money drives political inequality, and then political inequality drives negative outcomes such as violence or fraud or some type of other problem in elections. Um, Now, this is obviously not a good thing. This is not something we want to see. But I think it is relevant for practitioners because it suggests that a lot of the programming we see is perhaps organised in a way that's not ideal because governance programming, good governance programming to deal with things like corruption tends not to be integrated into electoral assistance and democracy assistance. And I think this is problematic in some senses in that a lot of the problems with election are actually problems of governance. And um, in the Californian case study, we have seen the absence of those types of major governance problems has enabled the California electoral officials to deal quite well with this natural disaster. But of course, in other parts of the world, we don't always see that. And I say, so I think for practitioners, sort of a more integrated approach to uh, programming that integrates governance with electoral capacity building and natural disaster coping uh, is going to be necessary in the coming years.
2: Thanks so much, Sarah. Um, Super interesting food for thought there, Um, especially with just governance and the quality of institutions just being very integral to making decisions that will improve the lives of people. Indeed. How about you, Jeff?
3: Well, democracy is personal for me. Uh, I've devoted my career to supporting the development of democracy as a, as a form of, of governance. And I would say that it's a lesson that I've learned just recently, and that is about both the fragility and resiliency of of democracy. Over the past six years, we've seen we've experienced unprecedented attacks on elections and democratic institutions, questioning their integrity, their values, their legitimacy. However, we're also seeing the resiliency of democracies to absorb these attacks and strengthen themselves as a result. So the lesson of the eternal vigilance spoken about the price of freedom rings truer to me than ever concerning democracy.
1: Jeff, um, thank you for those uh, wise words. Um, The U.S. is of course not alone when it comes to attacks on elections and democratic institutions. Election commissions around the world are, are under attack. And that's why your point on eternal vigilance is excellent and uh, central to protecting election integrity. Jeff, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you both on the show. Um, thank you very, very much uh, for your time. Uh, so that's it for today. Um, for any suggestions or recommendations, feel free to email us at elections.idea.int Um, My name is Eric Asplund.
2: And my name is Heidi Park. And thank you for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Democracy Ideas podcast. Keep following International Idea on social media. We need all of you to participate in constructing better societies. Goodbye.